Gospel of John, chapter 13. We're gonna finish chapter 13, and we're gonna take chapter 14. We're gonna do it. Big old chunk. John 13, 36 to chapter 14, verse 31. It, it all goes together as we spend this time with the Lord at night, the, the Lord's last night. And no doubt these things that the Lord spoke to his disciples, you know, this period in which only took a couple hours, but no doubt it was ingrained in the disciples' hearts, you know, forever. And the Holy Spirit, as he's doing us now, can take these things and remind us these things even in troubled times. As the Lord would, you know, they would have troubled times then, but things would not get any easier as they would walk with the Lord, but the Lord would continue to minister to them through this passage, and he's even ministering to us today through these same words. And so, John 13, 36, in a study that we're calling Trouble Heart. So let's pray. Father, thanks so much for uh, your word, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you're the God of all comfort. Lord, and that you comfort us, that we may uh, comfort others, Lord. We know that not just as a doctrine, Lord, but personally as your children. And so, Lord, we believe that you're good and that you love us and that, Lord, you have this word for us tonight. Whether it's even anything I say, Lord, we know that your word is powerful and it's able to minister to us as we just sit at your feet and hear it read. And so, pray, Lord, that you do that tonight, that we would just hear the power of your word and, Lord, the comfort of your voice and, um, Lord, the love and work of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is our great physician. That's the good news. And he's a heart specialist. The Lord throughout the Gospels has, been, has given many diagnoses and cures for heart problems. In Mark 2, when Jesus was there with the paralytic, he looked at the man as he came down. He said, your sins are forgiven you. And there the Pharisees began to murmur. The scribes and Pharisees began to murmur among themselves. And Jesus automatically said, yep, I know what your guys' problem is. You have a murmuring heart. There he understood that they were there murmuring in their heart. He was able to diagnose it. In chapter four, Jesus spoke of a hard heart. He spoke of a shallow heart, a crowded heart, and a good heart as he talked about the parable of the sower. He said, all these things are all different types of heart conditions. In chapter seven of Mark, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he says, you guys have a distant heart. He said, you draw near to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And he was able to teach them about it. Jesus spoke of the wicked heart also in the Gospel of Mark as he says, from the heart flows all these things, immorality, as the Pharisees were trying to question him and trap him. He says, you wanna know where sin comes from? It doesn't come from washing hands, it comes from the heart. And he was able to diagnose their heart, it was, it was sinful. In Mark 10, Jesus was questioned about marriage and divorce. We looked at it last Sunday, and he told them that they had a hard heart. He said, you know why Moses wrote these things? It was because of the hardness of your hearts. And he put them in that category. Jesus is gonna continue to diagnose heart issues as we come to our passage this evening. He's gonna talk about the troubled heart. And we're gonna see that Jesus has a cure for the troubled heart. We see that in chapter 14, verse one, and also in verse 27. Jesus said that their hearts were troubled and they were afraid. And as we look at these things, we'll see the cause of the disciples' troubled heart and the cure for the disciples' troubled heart. So first of all, we see the cause of the disciples' troubled heart in chapter 13, verses 35 through 38. It's where we left off last week. Now, Jesus' diagnosis 
of this troubled heart shouldn't come as a shock to us. You see, they had all the indicators of heart problems. It was a developing issue as we, as we look at it here. In chapter 13, verses 18 to 19, Jesus told them that one of them, his close friend and brother, would betray him. This would come as a shock to them. But I believe that the main cause of their heart trouble is linked to what Jesus said in verse 33. He told them that he was going away from them and they couldn't come with him. And this was really the bomb that was dropped. I mean, there was a lot of other things that could have led up to it, but this was the main issue which really caused their heart to be troubled. We know that because we pick up in verse 36 where we left off. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly I say to you, the rooster shall not crow, so you have denied me three times. And so Peter questioned Jesus' statement, as no doubt all the other disciples wanted to. Where was Jesus going, and why could they not follow him? You see, Peter and the other disciples, they were willing to follow Jesus. They had left everything, and they had been following Jesus for some three years now. They had left everything to follow the Lord. They believed that he was the Messiah. They believed that he was going to establish the kingdom, but now he's going away. What would they do? Why couldn't they follow him? And Jesus is going to continue to encourage them here in this passage. Now, Peter says, Lord, why can't I go with you? I'll follow you, and I'll lay down my life for your sake. And, and Jesus here confronts Peter, and he tells Peter about this up-and-coming denial that, that Peter would, would have for Jesus. He said, Peter, you, you, know, you say you wanna follow me, but here's what's gonna happen. Before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny me three times, and Peter would. Now, Peter didn't like Jesus' statement here, and he you know, wanted to follow Jesus, but this is the truth, that all of them would turn their back on Jesus, and the Lord would, you know, would be left alone, and their, um, you know, the Lord would go to the cross, and they would see him again when he rose again from the dead. Now, something to notice here is as Jesus, as Jesus explains these things to his disciples and talked about their heart trouble, he has a good bedside manner. You see, Jesus was clear, he was truthful, he was patient, and he was loving with his disciples. He didn't you know, just automatically start rebuking them for having a troubled heart. I mean, he understood where they were. And I point this out because often when we find ourselves having a troubled heart in these situations, Satan comes and seeks to try to condemn us for not having enough faith. You know, and, and, and you know, there the disciples were, Jesus is telling these things, they have a troubled heart, and the Lord knows it. And our first thought is, man, okay, I, I'm better than this. I, I know I can do better than this. I shouldn't have this troubled heart, but the Lord doesn't rebuke him here. Rather, he seeks to comfort them and encourage them and to kind of give them the methods here for how they can have a cure for this troubled heart. And the cure is given to us now in chapter 14, verses one through 31, we see this, uh, the cure. And the Lord is gonna give us a number of different truths that we can apply and remember as we go through tough times. First, in verse one, we see that, that the disciples were to trust Jesus. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, the word trouble is used of also of Jesus in chapter 13. We're told there that when he said that one of them would betray him, he said that the Lord's heart was troubled. Jesus was sympathetic. 
He struggled in all points as we do, yet he was without sin. And so Jesus' encouragement was not some cold textbook answer given by some recent college graduate doctor, but rather it was a truth that was lived out from his own life. He was able to minister because he was a sympathetic high priest. And that's the comfort that we have as we have troubled hearts. The Lord is the one who can comfort us. You and I, we might not be able to understand what people go through, right, if we haven't really gone through that situation, but the Lord is the one who understands it. He was the one who had a troubled heart. He was the one who suffered for us. And the Lord is the one who's able to come alongside of that person and also to encourage them. The Lord was gonna encourage them through these truths. He was gonna apply these truths in love. Now the first encouragement he gives them was that they were to take their eyes off their circumstance and put them on Jesus. The way the disciples would do this was by trusting in him just as they trusted God the Father. You see, they all knew the Old Testament. They all knew the work of God and, and what God had done and how God had been faithful to the children of Israel throughout the Old Testament. Now they were to trust the Lord in the same exact way. They were to rely, rely on him and know that even though times looked bleak, the Lord was going to work through it. He was gonna work this out. Now it sounds oversimplified and even kind of cliche, but when times get tough, keep your eyes on Jesus. And this is what we see throughout the Gospels once again. Remember when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and there the disciples were trying to cast out the demon out of the boy? And you know they were arguing with the Pharisees because why they couldn't cast it out. And when Jesus came down, he got right in the middle of the situation. And what did he say? He said, bring the boy to me. Bring him to me. And then as the father came to him, Jesus said, just believe. And he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. The answer was, take your eyes off the situation and put them on me and bring him to me. Jesus also, in John 11, Jesus came into a pretty tough situation there after Lazarus just died and Mary and Martha were both you know, really sad and broke up and Jesus says, hey, don't you believe in the resurrection? And Martha quoted Jewish theology, says, yeah, I believe in the resurrection. And Jesus says, but Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though they may die, yet shall they live. And so he took their eyes off their situation and put them on him. You see, you believe in God, believe also in me, trust in me, look at me and, and, and allow me to, to comfort you and encourage you. Second, in verses two through six, he reminds them that our hope is in heaven. Verse two, in my father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So Jesus begins by addressing heaven itself, which is the place where he was going. Jesus calls it his father's house, the Father's house is referring to God's dwelling place. It's the place where God's throne is. In heaven are many mansions. Now, what are the mansions that Jesus is talking about? Well, there are some good Bible teachers that say that Jesus is only referring to bodies. But it would appear from the rest of the scriptures that Jesus is not talking about the glorified body, but uh, some place in which you and I will dwell as believers. The Greek word is seen in many English translations as mansions, dwelling places or rooms. So whatever it might be, it appears that it's gonna be a place where you and I dwell in heaven and it's gonna be a special place for us. Why not believe it's a mansion, right? The Lord can do some amazing things. The Lord said that he's going to prepare a place for us. It's gonna be special for you and I. So I mean, if a person wants to say, oh, it's a room, well, it's gonna be a pretty special room, right, if the Lord's there preparing it. Jesus encouraged the disciples that he was leaving them, yes but he was leaving them for a good purpose. He was going to prepare a place for them. 
And the Lord has been there preparing a place for us. And it's been said if Jesus, you know, if it took Jesus six days to create this earth and all the beautiful things that we see in it, how much more will our places in heaven be beautiful as the Lord has been there for some 2,000 years? It's gonna be special. It's gonna be perfect. Next, Jesus discusses how we get there to him. Verse three, he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to eternal life in heaven with the Father. All people will come to God one day to stand in front of him, right? Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. But it's only through faith in Jesus Christ can a person have eternal life in heaven with the Father. Everyone else will bow the knee, but they'll be cast out alive into the lake of fire. Apart from faith in the gospel, no person can be saved and spend eternity with Jesus. It's very simple. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now those who believe in Jesus have a hope. And this hope is that he'll come back for us one day. If we die before that coming, we know that the Lord has that special place for us, reserved in heaven for us. And Peter tells us that we're actually kept by the power of God until that day. But it gets even better because he says, I'm gonna go and prepare a place for you, but then I'm gonna come back for you to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so this is referring to the rapture, that time in which Jesus can come back at any moment and sweep up his church off this earth. The Lord didn't talk much about the rapture before this point. And the reason is, is because he was talking to the Jews, specifically about the tribulation and about the coming of the kingdom and when the temple was to be destroyed and all that. But now as the Lord's starting to move closer into the church age, he's preparing them for the church age. And this truth would be something that would be revealed in the church age, which is why Paul called it a mystery. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And so it was something that was hidden, but then it was revealed in the New Testament. And so as the Lord is preparing his disciples now for the coming church age, he's starting to talk to them about the specific truth about the rapture. He was going away, but he would come for them at any moment and sweep them away and take them to be with him. Now, most of you probably heard this before, and it's true. Jesus is actually referring to Jewish wedding customs here. Of, you know, and specifically the Jewish wedding customs of the day. A husband and wife would become betrothed, and a betrothal will last for a minimum of nine months, specifically more than nine months to see if the person was pure or not, right? Baby's born in nine months, kind of thing. And so this betrothal would begin, and sometime after a period of nine months, um, while the, the groom was away preparing this place for them, he would come back unexpected. And there he would swoop her up and take her to these, this marriage feast, the supper that he had prepared. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. He's saying, hey, you know, you're my betrothed bride and you're gonna have this you know, Holy Spirit that I'm gonna give you as an engagement ring. I'm gonna go away and I'm gonna go and prepare a place for you in my father's house Then I'm gonna come, uh, come unexpected. And the Lord's gonna come back with his saints and he's gonna sweep us away and take us to this marriage supper of the Lamb that he's been preparing for us and we're gonna celebrate with him. And then we're gonna go on our honeymoon right in the New Jerusalem, which is gonna be even better as we come back at the second coming. 
but this was all gonna be an encouragement to the disciples. He had a purpose for going away. Third, in verses seven through 11, they were to remember that they have a good father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And so the disciples now on this last night, they, once, they wanted some kind of physical manifestation of the presence of God. They're like, Lord, Okay, if you're going away from us, well, hey, show us the Father. Give us something, you know, something amazing right now. You know, they wanted to see God in all of his glory. And Jesus responded to Philip here and said, Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. This should be sufficient for you. Now, the way that Jesus explains this is revealed to us in verse 10. He said that he is in the Father and the Father in him. Jesus by nature is God. Therefore, he bears the same nature as the Father. We know that there's one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus by nature is the same as the Father. But even more so, we see the Father because Jesus, as he came to this earth, humbled himself. He set aside the prerogatives of his deity, he set aside the rights as God, and chose to live on this earth as a surrendered God-man to live surrender to the power of God and surrender to the word of God. And this is how he reveals the Father here. He said, Philip, you wanna see the Father? It's sufficient for you? Well, remember what I've done. Remember my works, remember my words. All these things were done by the authority and the power of God, showing that Jesus, though he was the God man, he did everything by the power of the Holy Spirit, always working by the power and the will of God and always speaking the specific words of God that the Father wanted him to talk. Now, people have asked, what is God like? Well, it's very simple. Look at Jesus. Look to, you know, look to Jesus. That is what God is like. People think of Jesus you know, as you know, the loving, hippie kind of thing, and that God the Father is you know, the angry God in, in, in heaven. But they're the same. They have the same nature. And, and the works that Jesus did were the works of the Father. That's the God that we serve. Was not Jesus full of compassion for mankind? So was God the Father. Was not Jesus a comforter to those who were struggling? No one who came to Jesus was turned away. The Lord was, the Lord was able to minister to them through their circumstance. Now, they might not have received what they wanted to receive, but nevertheless, the Lord had something good for them. You know, whether it was the cure or whether it was the problem with the heart, whether it was, it was to teach them faith, whatever it was, the Lord was able to minister. And we have that hope as we walk with the Lord through these troubled times that we have a good father and that we know that you know, just as Jesus was with his disciples ministering to them, even so God is with us, ministering to us, loving us, comforting us, looking over us as a shepherd, as a sheep. Fourth, in verses 12 through 15, we need to remember that God has good works planned for us, even in the midst of troubled times. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will all, uh, do also, and greater works than these 
he will do because I go to my Father. And so Jesus talked about these works that he did by the power of God, and now he points to his disciples and says, hey guys, greater works than these will you do who believe in me. Now, um, Jesus here is talking about the book of Acts, and they would do great works. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, would speak forth the word of God. And there they would see some 3,000 people get saved on the day of Pentecost. God would back up the word of God with signs and wonders as the disciples would do great things. Now the fact that they would do greater works than Jesus isn't referring to the quality of the works, but the quantity of the works. You see, Jesus was centralized as he was in his human body on this earth. As he walked around, he could only be you know, at one place at one time. But now that the Lord was leaving them, the Lord says, hey, I'm leaving and I'm gonna do greater things. How would he do greater things? Well, rather than being centralized in a human body, he would be scattered throughout the earth in the body of Christ. You and I, the church. The Lord is now the head and we're now his body. So his method is to fill us with his Holy Spirit, that same power that filled him and empowered him to do great things and he wants to send us out throughout this world to do great things, to speak his word and to minister his word, but also to allow the Lord to work through us and to do great and mighty things. How would this happen? Does it come from us? Is it some kind of force you know, that you tap into? No, it's very simple. He says here that you know, the works that we do, notice is he says, because I go to my father. That's why we'll do these great works, because he's leaving and he's gonna go to his father. And as we'll learn, the reason why he had to go to his father because if he did not go to the father, then the Holy Spirit could not come. That's what he says. He says, I have to go to my father. If I don't go to my father and ascend, then the Spirit cannot come. And so the basis of this good work and this great work that the Lord wants to do in our lives is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The same God who is empowering Jesus to minister and serve is the same God who wants to work in us. So this is the basis of our good works. The Lord goes on in verse 13, says, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So another way Jesus promises that good works will come forth from his disciples is through prayer, prayer in his name. Now prayer in Jesus' name implies a relationship with him. It implies that a person is a believer. Jesus, is encouraged, Jesus here encourages us to come to the Father and pray in his name, and he said, ask anything in my name. There's nothing big, too big, there's nothing too small, but we're to take everything to the Lord in prayer. What about this statement that the Lord will give us anything that we ask? Well, John clarifies what he says here in 1 John 5, 14 through 15, and, and here's what he says. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And so prayer in Jesus' name is not some magic formula. You know, we're not to look at faith as some kind of force that we tap into and that we kind of make God our genie. But rather we're to come to God in prayer because God wants to do great things in prayer but we know that what we ask needs to be in line with God's will because God does have a plan and a purpose for our life. And so, you know, it's the providence of God and, and the responsibility of man. But, you know, all we're to know is that God wants us to come to him and ask. 
and, and we're to come to him in faith. The Lord said, hey, bring your requests to me. I'm going away, but I'm going away for a good purpose. And I want you to be encouraged by that because you're gonna do great things through the spirit and I'm gonna work through prayer as I intercede for you and, and, and as you pray and also as you represent me. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now it might sound oversimplified, but if we're to do a great work for Jesus, then we need to keep his commandments. It's very simple. How can I glorify God? Well, follow his word. Start with what God has said in his word and then allow him to do the rest in our lives. You know, sometimes we're trying to find the, the special way that God is gonna work, you know? I love reading these old revivalists. You know, these guys like, you know, um, all these old guys and they said, yeah, you want revival? Be holy, <laughs> follow the Lord's word and, and, you know, and, and allow him to do the rest. And that's all the Lord's telling his disciples. This is what they were to know. This is their background, their seminary training, if you would going into the work that God wanted them to do. The Lord says, hey, here's these truths. Follow it and believe it. Obey my commandments if you love me. Fifth in verses 16 through 18, and also in verse 26, we, we are told that we need to remember that God has given us his Holy Spirit. Verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. And so Jesus was leaving his disciples, but his leaving would be good because he was gonna send the Holy Spirit to them. He wasn't gonna leave them orphans, he wasn't gonna leave them all by themselves, but he had a purpose in doing so. He would send a nether comforter. Now notice the Trinity here in this verse. He would pray, Jesus, to the Father, or as the Father, that he would send the Holy Spirit. So we see all three persons there in the Trinity. The Spirit would be a nether helper. The word nether means another of the same kind. And the word helper means one who would come alongside. And so just as Jesus was there to come alongside of the disciples, to minister to them and encourage them, even so, as he left, God would send the Holy Spirit to come alongside of us, just as Jesus did, just like the Lord, and minister to us, encourage us, teach us. The Lord was always there in hard times. When the disciples didn't know the answer, you know, they didn't know what to do, the Lord was there to help them. You know, they, they needed money, the Lord said, hey, go down there and catch a fish. You know, there's a coin in the mouth. And even so, that's the relationship that we're to have with the Spirit now. As we walk with him, he's with us. The Holy Spirit is with a person before salvation, convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But the Holy Spirit is also with a person after salvation. As we see in verse 26, He's with us, reminding us uh, of his word and, and using us, giving us you know, these different gifts such as the word of wisdom and word of knowledge and, and things like that. We'll talk more about it in, as we get into chapter 15 and 16. But the Lord is with us. Another ministry of the Holy Spirit is he comes and lives in us. And so yes, the Holy Spirit is with a person before salvation, he's convicting them, but the moment a person puts their faith in Jesus, based on the conviction of the Spirit and God's grace, the Holy Spirit then comes and lives inside of a person. We call that being born again. The Lord seals us until the day of redemption. He gives us his engagement ring, which is the Holy Spirit. And there he begins to work in us to change us from the inside out, to transform us from glory to glory. There'll be another work of the Holy Spirit that we'll read about in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit's with us, he's in us, but then later he'll come upon us could happen at salvation, it could happen after salvation. 
But the Lord there, talking to the disciples who were already born again, who already had the Spirit with them, he said, God wants to do something amazing before you go out. The Holy Spirit wants to come upon you, that you may be my witnesses, empowered to go throughout the whole world. And so he was going away, but they could be comforted because the Spirit would come and minister to them. Verse 19, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will also live live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So there's a sixth thing that the disciples were to remember, and that's through the resurrection, we can have a, a relationship with Jesus through his word. You see, Jesus was leaving his disciples, but they would see him again, and the time in which they would see him again would be after he was risen again from the dead. They couldn't come with him right now to the cross, but they would see him again. And at that time, they would be assured that they were saved and that they would also be resurrected like Jesus. That's what the Lord is saying here. After he speaks to these things, he describes them this new relationship that they would have with him as he would resurrect and also ascend into heaven. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And so the Lord was going away, but they would see him alive again. And he would later ascend into heaven, but then they would begin this new relationship with him. This relationship based upon his presence with them. His, you know, this relationship through the word. And this is how you and I relate to Jesus today. You know, we might not see him physically, but he's with us. And he wants to reveal himself to us, and the way he does that is through his word and through his presence. As we spend time with him through his word, the Lord ministers to us and, and speaks to us and encourages us. And that's the way, if we love the Lord, you know, we keep his commandments. It's real simple as we walk with the Lord. The Lord gives us the conclusion of this message he gives here for this hurting heart. In verses 27 to 31, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Each one of these things is really a sermon in itself. And it's a temptation to wanna to teach every single one. But the Lord gives all these things here because he gives the summary here. He says, my peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. And what, what were those things? It was those truths that he communicated to them here. Not a lot of explanation, just his simple word, as these things would resonate with them as they would walk with the Lord, the Lord would continue to take these truths, instill it in their heart, bring to them all, you know, you know, all their members that they need, and continue to minister to them and encourage them. The believer has an anchor through God's unchanging word. The Lord is able to take these things and minister to us. While the world might change around us, while our circumstances might change around us, we have the hope that God and his word will never change. And as Paul said, we can have patience and hope and comfort through the word of God. Verse 28, you have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. 
If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to my father, for my father is greater than I am. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk with you, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the father and as a father, um, and as the father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. And so these truths that Jesus was communicating to them wasn't just to go in one ear and out the other. It was to be something that they would meditate on. This meditation would cause them to rejoice. They were to be reminders of who he was and they were to prepare them for the events that would come. Satan was coming. He was indwelling Judas. And this plan would begin to unfold as he would go to the cross. Now notice here, the Lord says, he was going to the cross that everyone would know that he loves the Father, that the world may know that I love the Father. And so it was much more just the fact that Jesus had to keep these prophecies. I gotta make sure I got this checklist. He says, I love God, so I'm gonna follow his will. And I want everybody to know that I love God, so I'm gonna do these things. Verse 31 tells us that they would actually leave the upper room at this point. So most scholars say, well, it's the upper room discourse. Well, half of this discourse is probably given outside the upper room given on the last night. Jesus here probably said, arise, let's go. So they probably would leave the upper room and begin heading towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And as the things that he's gonna reveal to them were probably on the way as they were headed towards this garden. But in closing, how is our heart tonight? If we're willing to allow the Lord to search us, he'll reveal to us the condition of our heart. If our heart is afraid, if our heart is troubled, then we have the cure. All we need to do is set our eyes on Jesus. Amen.